A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Breastfeeding is one of the most natural things in the world, and yet it can take some serious getting used to. Knowledge is key, and the peanut app created specifically for women going through all different stages of motherhood allows you to reach out to other women who've been through the same experiences. Introducing you to women nearby, you can ask all of those burning questions to women who are ready and willing to share their own first-hand experiences. The app is quick, simple, and safe to use. If you are looking to meet other women at a similar stage in life, then download the Peanut app for free today on your app store or head to peanut.app.link slash food for thought. Hello and welcome to Food for Thought on Motherhood, a special mini-series on all things pregnancy, childbirth and baby. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In this special mini-series, I'm joined by leading health professionals so that together we can all learn fact from fiction and support your journey, whether that's through conception, pregnancy, or just like me as a brand new mum. The concept of breastfeeding is simple. You offer boob to baby, baby latches, drinks milk for a while, and then is done tummy full, happy baby. But simple does not always mean easy, and some mothers are not even given a choice. This Food for Thought on Motherhood is with lactation consultant, paediatric feeding and swallowing specialist, speech therapist, Stacey Zimmels, where we explore the challenges in feeding your baby. Hello, Stacey. Hello. Hi. Oh, hello. I honestly am so happy to have you on this episode because you've played such an important role uh, with my um, feeding journey with Zachary and I just think everybody's going to benefit so much from what you have to say so um, here, here we go I guess. Fantastic. If we start Stacey by talking about the fact that breast milk is said to make your child healthier, smarter and unfortunately lots of women are sadly unable to breastfeed and they can feel a lot of shame around this so when we come to the phrase breast is best, what are your thoughts on this? So if it's all right, I think I'd like to reframe it and think about it not as breast is best or better, but actually considering breastfeeding as the biological norm and recognizing that it offers more protections to both babies and mothers Human milk is tailor-made for babies and it's an evolving um, 
fluid both throughout human existence and also across an infant's and a child's lifespan. So breastfeeding does offer baby a reduced risk of a number of um, illnesses such as diarrhea and vomiting, ear infections, asthma, diabetes, it's a very long long list and the same for the mother in terms of decreasing the risk of things like breast and ovarian cancer. So that's not sort of disputed. I think that what's really challenging is that when women who want to breastfeed aren't able, they are going to experience a multitude of, of feelings, possibly anger, grief, sadness. Those are some of the feelings that have been documented in the literature. And um, it can be linked to sort of a feeling of loss so that they lose something they were expecting or wanting to do um, or that they had been taught about and promised as the best and then they weren't able to achieve. And I think what I'd like to say is if there's a woman that feels like this, I'd like to sort of read a quote, if that's all right, by mm. Dr. Nigel Rollins from the WHO. Please do. He says, the success or failure of breastfeeding should not be seen solely as a responsibility of the woman. Her ability to breastfeed is very much shaped by the support and the environment in which she lives. There is a broader responsibility of governments and society to support women through policies and programmes in the community. And I think this is very, very true. And I, I, it's, it's a very difficult place to be when you're surrounded by those messages. But it, I sort of don't feel that those messages are truly the most helpful way of portraying the decision to breastfeed and the protections that it offers. Yeah, of course. It, it does really um, hit home when you said that, because I do feel that there isn't enough of a conversation around supporting women and the fact that it isn't just straightforward. It's it's something that you almost think, oh, you know, I'll be able to do it because you, you can't practice breastfeeding. It's not something you are you don't just grab a baby and you can't actually put it on and practice the process. It's very difficult, isn't it? And that quote really does sum up the fact that it does take, it does take support because you don't know what you're doing. I mean, I was messaging you, Stacey. I remember in the first few weeks, not only had I had a very difficult birth experience, but I was so unsure if what I was doing was even right. Absolutely. And I think that that speaks to this idea of the society needing to support women and then the messages that we have within the society around what's normal, what's normal infinite behaviour, but also what's normal within the fourth trimester and what's normal in terms of expectations of, of breastfeeding itself and what, what to expect. Yeah, 100%. And then you've got the added thing that every baby's different, but pretty much as we if we go back to the whole breast is best which I like how you rephrase that if we could rephrase it I, I see I understand both sides here I understand that it's very important to emphasize the nutritional benefits obviously I'm a nutritionist of breast milk if it's a possibility but equally it isn't always a possibility and that's when it does lead women to feel immense feelings of guilt mum guilt is bad enough as it is as you know let alone having such an awful added pressure if you're not supported put on top of you and I think for so many mums that first feed that can be just the biggest hurdle can't it yeah I think it's a it's a really important one to sort of master and get under your belt so to speak and it can be really challenging because some babies sometimes don't want to latch um 
it is important to ideally feed your baby within the first hour of birth and have immediate and uninterrupted skin-to-skin contact. But it's also really important to recognise that if you don't manage that or achieve it, either or, and for some reason you might be separated from your baby, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to reach your breastfeeding goals and, and breastfeed. Yeah, I remember um, when I was I was in the hospital. So I actually I think it was very helpful to have the help of the um, the midwives in the hospital at the time. You know, with that first feed. But I know that not everybody gets that opportunity for some reason. Um, people are busy. You know, staff are busy. Sometimes there's not enough to go around in that first hour. Are there any tips that you could give to people listening who perhaps they're listening and they're pregnant or they've just started their breastfeeding journey on on mastering it? Yeah, fantastic. I'm happy to. So um, ideally, the best tip I can give you is that you can ask your um, team that are looking after you that your baby is delivered onto your chest and can remain there for as long and, um, as possible, really, after birth because skin to skin contact has been shown in that first few hours to have um, benefits on the success of breastfeeding longer term and um, from that position your baby is sort of biologically programmed to make their way to the breast now again not all babies do this but if in the right circumstances and left to their own devices some and many will and I think the problem in our society with the sort of medical side of things often women giving birth in a hospital is that perhaps that that isn't or that opportunity isn't given so the baby might be weighed or they might put a hat on the baby or all these sort of things but it's okay and you can ask for that not to happen you can ask for the weight to be delayed or not to have a hat to put on the baby so having that um that time is really important and and having a bit of patience and and sort of waiting until your baby is in that window and a baby will go through a series of like almost cues and movements until they get to the place where they're ready to feed more instinctively within that first hour and then facilitating them if you need to when they do to latch on. Yeah, I mean they're they're also very sleepy, aren't they, in the first um, the first few days, and it's just the colostrum milk, isn't it? But if you could touch on the importance of, because you said put your baby on your chest straight away. A lot of people talk about skin to skin, but how much difference does this actually make when it comes to the feeding? So um, it does really set them up to get going with feeding um the first feed we mentioned and the combination of skin to skin they tend to suckle more effectively and then they tend to get sleepy you just mentioned it after that first feed in the second window of the first day and so what's thought to happen is that when they have a really good and effective suckle in the first hour within sort of a skin-to-skin context, that they imprint so that they're more able to continue to go on to have effective suckling. And the skin-to-skin contact does a lot of things for the mother's milk supply in addition to orientating mum and baby together and keeping baby calm and keeping baby settled and regulated and all those things that are really important after the delivery for the baby. Yeah, and I think it's meant to be um, now one of those important 
bonding moments, as you said, it must relax the baby. I mean, I, I know I've spoken to you about the Stacey before, and I think I may have mentioned it on my birth story podcast, but I didn't get the opportunity to have skin to skin um, with my baby straight away because of the type of delivery and how everything had escalated. And it, I used to, I was pretty cut up about it. I still, I still am. It's hard to talk about. I, you, I have this feeling of um, this overwhelming sadness, I think, that I couldn't give Zachary that first, you know, that first kind of start. And I'm sure a lot of mums out there may be in a similar situation to me. So it's just nice to share with everyone listening that it doesn't mean it it will affect your breastfeeding journey, does it, going forwards if you can't get that straight away? No, absolutely not. I know many, many women, including myself, Mm. who weren't able to get immediate skin to skin and who for whatever reason had to have their baby separated and who have gone on to um, sort of achieve all that they wanted within their breastfeeding journey. Effectively, the way to see it is it might just make it easier if you do get that, but not not impossible or necessarily challenging Mm. if you don't. So certainly, if that is your experience and that happens to you, it's just a matter of reconnecting with your baby when both of you are medically safe to do so and then having that skin-to-skin and feeding time then. Yeah, it does get better. And I always um, go back to remember your words of skin-to-skin because sometimes it doesn't matter what age they are. I think going through the um, first uh, few months, it's so helpful to have that time. And just to remember, sometimes you can forget, it's so easy to go a whole day without having skin to skin with your baby because you put them in a cute outfit and you're you're playing with them on the play mat. And you're like, oh, maybe we should do bath time together tonight or have a little bit of that contact, um, which, which is quite nice. But feeding in the first few days can be a pretty nonstop process, isn't it? Yeah, it can be. Um, And it's really interesting. I was just before we came on thinking about answering this question. And I decided to make a note of how many times I've eaten or drank something today. Mm. And it's way over 13 times. Yeah. (laughs) And um, that's with a handful of nuts, a bit of breakfast (laughs) and some lunch, and then a couple of cups of tea and multiple sips of water. And I think that just speaks to you know, the, the sort of frequency of feeding is absolutely, it is very frequent and it can be a little shock to the system because they need to feed from you. But actually, if you think about it in relation to us as adults and how often we actually feed or eat or drink across the day, it's probably not not dissimilar. And I think the adjustment, especially sort of when you're not expecting it, is that when somebody says to you, your baby may feed at least eight times, but up to 12 or 14 times in 24 hours. You can't quite quantify what that means. It means that you're sort of sitting there and the baby is Mm -hmm. on you until you experience (laughs) it. But it's very much a normal normal part of the beginning and the initiation of breastfeeding and a very, very important part because hormonally, once you get a shift in hormones at the beginning, actually breastfeeding supply and success really relies on the supply demand aspect. And so actually that intensity is the thing that will get you established in breastfeeding, even though it's probably the most intense period ever. And it's the time when you're needing to do the most recovery because often you've been through a tough time with the birth. Um, And it's, it's, it's a tough and challenging time sometimes. Oh, without a doubt, the first start to the fourth trimester is the most difficult thing I've been through in my entire life. Um, I remember messaging you and saying, this is, 
I'm getting a half an hour break between feeds because technically you start it at the start of each feed the time, don't you? And I remember thinking, wow, every hour of every day with half an hour gaps, I am feeding. Is this normal? And you start questioning, are they getting the milk? Are they not? Because you can't see and it takes quite a long time to to get that draining feeling or to, you know, when you kind of feel the milk, don't you? Or you can hear it and know the signs to look out for it's so alien, I think, for any new mum, that you can start internalising so many thoughts surrounding the feeding. Absolutely, it relies on a huge amount of trust in both you and your body. And again, I can't underestimate that that unfortunately coincides with a time where you might be very depleted in yourself, and you might just not have the resilience to to do that. Um, and also, again, going back to sort of society, you know, um, a long time ago, women would be surrounded by other women who would be telling them, well, this is all normal and, you know, keep your baby on you and nobody's nobody's coming to visit and, mm. you know, here's the food, here we go, I'll spoon feed you myself if I have to four times a day and, you know, those mm. sorts of things. And we just don't have that anymore in this generation and particularly at the time that you gave birth to your son, you're even more isolated in the lockdown situation and I think that that really heightens those challenging times. Yeah, the lack of support for mums postpartum is actually pretty shocking. Um, it's it's an area that should be considered more. Maybe, this is a whole other podcast episode, but perhaps because historically speaking, women gained equal rights a lot later than men, and perhaps healthcare systems are based upon male views. Um, perhaps it's something that still needs to change. I don't know. That's um, It's definitely not my area, that, but it's an interesting one if you think about it. Absolutely. And actually, there's been a lot of influence on male healthcare professionals on the infant feeding world. And arguably, that was the sort of the key impetus for the change in our um, society from a breastfeeding society to a predominantly formula and bottle feeding society from the sort of 1920s onwards so uh, you know I don't think that you're wrong there I think that ultimately hopefully we're coming out the other side but there's a huge amount more that our government needs to do to support women. Yeah I, I have found no matter it can be extremely restricting um, it, it's very difficult for a woman to be expected to have a job and raise a child um, that, that is the reality we live in. And of course, um, I cherish my job. I know for so many mums, you know, it, it's the thing that they have for them still, you know. But I don't think society has the infrastructure that does support that because if you're away from your baby, then you're pumping the milk that you need to then save and store somewhere. What if your office doesn't have somewhere where you can store the milk? You have to take a freezer bag or it's it's not straightforward, is it, Stacey? <laughs> it's definitely not. And again, it goes back to sort of our society needing to move forward and, and um, in their views and their beliefs and their understanding of what is required to support women. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's lots of cues. So let's give our listeners what to look for, because I know some babies give different ones. I mean, a, a recent cue Zachary gives me, he shoves his fist, like his whole fist in his mouth <laughs> and Lovely. starts sucking on it. But he never used to do that in the first, um, he's 15 months now at the time of recording, not 15 months, 15 weeks. weeks. I was going to say. me, can you imagine? <laughs> but um, it, it didn't start off like that. So what are the common cues that people can look out for? So in a newborn infant, the cues can be quite subtle. The first thing to say is that crying is a late feeding cue. So if you hear your baby crying, you may have missed, you're very likely to have missed earlier cues. And really you want to 
feed your baby in an earlier window than crying because as a state for an infant it's not the ideal state to organize yourself and feed in so you want them really to be in a quiet alert state or an alert state and so watching for cues they could be as subtle as turning their head from side to side sticking their tongue poking it through their lips moving their lips a little bit um, opening their mouth some babies very early on can get their hands to their mouth if they're in the right position um, and um, those are the probably the main feeding cues that you are going to see in a newborn infant and that's another one of the benefits of having a baby skin to skin is because they're with you and you're able to feed them at those earlier feeding cues which will help with breastfeeding success. Oh yeah, having your baby close. Um, that's one thing I'm glad I did learn actually from NCT was that crying was the last um, the last kind of sign. I was thinking, right, I never want him to be crying. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to catch those signals early on and that, that definitely did help. But again, if you are busy, if you're this is your second child or maybe your third or fourth, uh, chances are you probably are going to miss those feeding cues because you're extremely busy I'm guessing at the same time as having just given birth so yeah Stephanie had moments where I was like where's the baby when did I last <laughs> feed him okay it's been four hours I'm just gonna go and find him now oh my goodness. yeah that's baby number two <laughs> women are superheroes that's exactly it and then there's the latch so we've got the cues it's time to feed and I think for so many women, this is the real um, difficult bit, isn't it? Yeah, it's about learning you and your baby. And, you know, I always say that whilst breastfeeding is the natural way to feed your baby, it isn't necessarily going to come naturally. And this is where, and you've touched on it, Rihanna, like this is where the learning part is going to come in and I can speak from experience and I've been open about this on my Instagram page you know knowing everything you know in the whole world you think you know everything about feeding you've been doing it it's your life's work and then you get a baby and basically you can't feed them that's what happened to me with my first it's pretty it just Mm. goes to show that you know it's not necessarily just about knowledge it's about working out how that knowledge can be worked for you and your baby and so the key things for getting your baby well latched um, at the beginning is to hold them very close to you and make sure that they're not twisted and their body's in a straight line from the ears to the shoulders to the hips ideally you want them so close that their chin is almost touching or touching the breast you want their nose in line with the nipple which feels really alien because you think that the mouth should be in line with the nipple and you want their head free so that they can lean their head back and come into the breast another really important thing is not to lean your boob into baby but bring your baby into the breast and when the baby tilts the head back and opens their mouth wide which is the ideal but not all babies can do this that you guide them into the breast and they take a large mouthful of breast where you see less of the underside of the areola um, where that most of that tissue is taken in and that would would that sort of facilitate and identify that they're deeply latched yeah this is um I remember being quite shocked at how much of the breast they actually take because you don't really know you just assume they'd feed from the nipple but no they literally take the whole breast in the mouth it's quite remarkable and the suction when I put my finger in his mouth and he started sucking I was like wow that is hard. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's all a good sign, Ray. It's all a good sign. Yeah, it's it's fair. But there's such little tweaks to these latches that 
I know a lot of friends who've sought help from lactation consultants because it can be such a subtle change, such as a lip not poking out, can't it, underneath the breast or um, absolutely the, the angle. But one thing that I remember in NCT groups being told, and I loved my NCT bundle London, they were great, but they were like, make sure you're comfortable before you start to feed. Now, this is easier said than done because before you know it, you're caught in a position somewhere in the house that isn't your feeding chair or where your cushions are and your back it can really it can get painful can't it it can and actually I hope you know in terms of breastfeeding positions if you were to ask me what would be yes my go-to or preferred breastfeeding position it would absolutely be one that's called the biological nursing or nurturing position or also the laid-back nursing position it is fantastic both for the baby and for the mum for the mum they're reclined so all Mm. of that stuff around your back is sort of is gone because you're you're leaning backwards and you don't you have the baby coming to you and from the baby's perspective it really works with how their body moves and how their body works where they're not fighting gravity but gravity's working with them Mm. and it facilitates deeper latch it can be a bit tricky to get to sort of get baby latched in that position, particularly when they're very small and floppy. But it's really one that you, that is worth investing a bit of time and energy in because if you get it, um, it can do wonders for you both in terms of the breastfeeding experience. Yeah, that's hands down been my favourite um, favourite position traditionally. Yeah, cradled in the arms, leading backwards. Could we go through um, a few of the positions because? It, it's not easy. It's such trial and error. And I'm very fresh, obviously, going through it right now. But there were times when because I'd need to calm Zachary down, I remember having to sit on the Swiss ball and mm. breastfeed at the same time that those days are thankfully behind mm. me now. Mm. But it's about finding the right one, isn't it? It is. And there are some positions that will work better if you're struggling with the latch. So the one that I just mentioned, the laid back position, also there's one called the rugby hold um, which can be good if you've got large breasts or if you're struggling to get a deep latch which is where you hold the baby um, almost like under your arm like a rugby ball and you latch them on in that position and then there are the traditional positions so the cross cradle um, and with that one you just need to be mindful that you are keeping the baby's head free so often women try and do that in a more traditional cradle position which you can switch to once baby's latched but at the point of latching you want to hold the baby with your opposite arm so that the head's free um, and they're probably the more commonly and well-known sort of feeding positions there are others that you can do and use particularly for things like reflux you can feed a baby more upright but from a newborn perspective I would say that the three that I most sort of commonly recommend or that the mums that I support typically use are the cross cradle the rugby hold and my save the laid back nursing position yeah no it is important to experiment as Stacey said so have a look at a few of those and Stacey has a wonderful Instagram page as well where you talk through everything and and if you're feeding with a bottle as well um pace feeding is important isn't it Yeah, so if you choose to offer your baby some breast milk in a bottle or if you're topping up with formula, um, then using a technique called pace bottle feeding helps to stop baby developing a preference for the flow of the milk from a bottle because it's the 
flow and the mechanism of milk removal is different and also from overfeeding on the bottle so that they come back to the breast ready and hungry the next time they're going to be offered and if you use that technique you're much more likely to continue to be able to breastfeed your baby alongside those bottles as and when you're using them. Yeah, because it's it's really there's there's two points that I want to make on that one. The first of the flexibility, I suppose, of, of being able to if someone's intending on going back to work or you want a partner to do another feed, um, having your baby take both is, I guess, not so straightforward, is it? Sorry, if you're returning to work, yeah, or you want your partner to do a feed. Um, for instance, I've I've been pumping, but I did it in the hospital in the first week, mm. as you know, and it it really has helped because my partner's able to do. A feed for me so it's not all just heavily reliant on me in those early days but I have heard of cases of some babies only taking bottle and then not going back to the breast is that quite common? Um, it is common and I do support a lot of mums and babies to try and get baby back to the breast. I would say that if you are informed about paste bottle feeding and you use that technique early on um, that that should hopefully avoid having um, the baby reject the breast um, but equally there are lots of mums that come to me because they're desperate because they their babies won't take bottles as mm. well so that it's sort of a mutual thing um, <laughs> and there are lots of tips and tricks to do that if and when you need if you need to do that. Yeah definitely seek help if you want a bit of flexibility around that area and you said about not and making sure they don't get too much milk. Yes. Is there a, a myth or is it true that babies can't overfeed on breast milk? Um, it's pretty much true because they can't be made to breastfeed and they're in the same way a bottle can be placed in the baby's mouth and that the milk will be there and present and flowing regardless. And the, the milk from the breast ebbs and flows um, and the baby's a lot more in control of the removal of the milk from the breast. So um, there are some sort of medical cases where perhaps it's not best for baby to, for example, cluster feed because it can exacerbate some of their medical symptoms. But again, that's not so much overfeeding. That's more about um, the underlying condition. But um, certainly with, with a bottle, there is more of a possibility of that happening. Oh, that's so interesting. I th- there's a lot of discussion in the nutrition world at the moment, Stacey, around um, obviously baby weight. Yeah. Um, and it's something I've been very conscious of that actually my child maybe is underweight, not overweight, as you know, I'm tracking his his growth chart. How would a parent know? What, what, what would you advise them to do to keep a tab that their baby is growing at a good rate? So I would suggest that you follow the guidance on weighing your baby, which would be to have them weighed on the first day, the fifth day, and the tenth day, and then at the six-week check, unless there's something else going on. And then after that, to only weigh them every month or so. I think one of the challenges of um, not weighing your baby often would be that if actually something wasn't going well, you wouldn't pick it up. But equally, there are risks associated with weighing your baby too often. And I've certainly seen this in the context of lockdown, where parents are more au fait with weighing their own babies and they're doing it more regularly because it doesn't really reflect how a baby grows if you weigh them too often. So babies tend to grow, as you know, because you'll have experienced feeding Zachary through a growth spurt. Mm. They grow in spurts and plateaus. So if you catch your baby and you measure them and um, weigh them, during a plateau it can sometimes look like they're not following their curve yeah whereas if you are sort of 
um, catch them at the, a different window, it will look like they are. Ultimately, babies will bob around, but you just want them to be tracking a curve. It doesn't matter if it's a lower one or a higher one. And really, the alarm bells are when they start to um, fall off their curve. But actually, it's only really a, a sort of medical concern if they drop two percentiles below their curve. And so it's more that you just need to keep an eye on weight. And, you know, you can do this just looking at their clothes. Are they growing OK? Do they Are they moving up to the next size of baby grows? I mean, I was certainly guilty of weighing both my kids at six weeks and then at one year and <laughs> nothing in between. But I could see that they were growing well. So... I would just suggest that you only weigh your baby um, as required, no more, no less. And usually you'll be you'll be picked up if they need more regular weighing. Yeah, and that's very good advice because from personal experience, it can cause immense anxiety. And a lot of the time your baby is happy doing poos, wheeze, yes. laughing, sleeping well, and yes, you're still not, worrying. Yeah, and not just anxiety, because it will change the way that you feed your baby, yeah. which in itself can change how they remove milk. And, you know, the thing is, it's such a dynamic. So if you're worried about growth, you may do something differently. And in doing something differently, you could put your baby actually at risk because, for example, you start pumping and then you might get mastitis and then mastitis might reduce your supply and your baby might not want to feed from a breast with mastitis. And then you've got a baby that was actually fine and thriving and that suddenly actually doesn't want to feed, you know, like as Mm -hmm. an extreme example. But these are things that I see in practice. So um, it is just trying to be measured and it goes back to trusting yourself and your body and your baby um, and seeking advice and support from somebody outside of that situation whether you need a, a lactation consultant or you can just speak to a partner or a friend who can just sort of talk you through that if they've been there and done that you know almost like find your own village a hundred percent and um a service I didn't really get to experience was because of covid was the health visitors but you know mm-hmm. they come don't they and they check yeah. and um just basically ask because if I hadn't have asked Stacey for help at the very beginning I mean I was a very over anxious mum I think it was really I still kind of am it's unusual times but Stacey picked up on a tongue tie um for everybody listening but we didn't um get it looked at until he was eight weeks old so that's eight weeks passing and it took Zachary a lot longer to feed than it could have done potentially um how common are things like tongue ties Stacey? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, 
and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, I'm not 100% sure of the current sort of prevalence of tongue ties, but um, I certainly see them quite a bit in practice. A tongue tie in itself isn't necessarily a problem, but if it comes alongside other breastfeeding issues, then certainly those issues need addressing. And if they've been addressed and you don't get the outcomes that you're looking for, then you would be looking towards um, a tongue tie being divided to get the outcomes that you want. Um, but yes, I do see them quite a lot. Yeah, it's, it's also there's all sorts of things for our listeners. Just make yeah. sure you're aware and just don't be, ed, no question is too silly or too small because it's just worth peace of mind, you know, getting Definitely. it checked. <laughs> I think it's about surrounding yourself and identifying. I often give this as a piece of advice when people ask me. It's about surrounding yourself and identifying who that support is, where it is and where it's going to come from. And it might be a range of different things before you have your baby. You might know that, you know, your neighbour three doors down has breastfed four babies and she's going to be a great point of call and she's happy to answer questions. You might also have a phone number of a lactation consultant in your phone you may have been recommended or found an online breastfeeding support group or a really useful sort of um, Instagram page that's run by a lactation consultant. You may have a number of those things and tune into those resources and never, ever think it's a question that's too stupid or doubt mm. if you're worried that you should just go and find out rather than also just sometimes taking matters into your own hands because, um, you know, again, a little question here or there could just send you in the right direction. Oh, completely. And often mum's instincts tend to be right. So absolutely. Definitely go for it. Now, as the baby grows, the feeding patterns do change, don't they? So there is relief if anyone's listening and they're in that early days, because gosh, I remember thinking this is never going to (laughs) end. Yeah, so changing the the patterns will change, but not for every baby. It's still quite normal for some babies at three or four months to be feeding every two hours in the day and waking regularly and feeding throughout the night. So again, I don't want to be unrealistic about what to expect because every baby is different. For some babies, as they get older, the intervals between feeds may stretch out. For other babies, they may become more efficient at feeding and the time that they spend feeding may reduce. But it's so individual and variable depending on not just the baby, but also the mother and the mother's breast milk supply and something called breast milk um, storage capacity. So, for example, if you've got a mum with a small breast milk storage capacity, no matter what you do, their baby may still always feed quite frequently, whereas mothers with a larger one may well get those longer intervals that um that you've mentioned that's so interesting and and also i've noticed um distraction now zachary can see everything Mm. um that's that's tricky um (laughs) i tried to go out now we now the lockdown's lifted um with a friend for brunch and i've got to say quite honestly i cried it was the most stressful experience i've ever had (laughs) I'm so sorry. That's so hard. It's just because he was so fascinated with the waiters in the restaurant and the plants hanging off the walls that 
even though he was hungry, he would just keep looking around at everything. Is there a solution to that sort of thing? Well, part of the solution is recognising and accepting that that's probably going to happen if your baby is like that when you Mm. go out and actually feeding them before you go and not worrying too much about him hanging on and off the breast for a minute or two and being done because when you get home, he'll feed more and that's just really normal because a normal healthy baby will take all the milk that they need to take over 24 hours. If you're at home, and you're feeling like every feed's like a two-minute sort of um, quick, snappy feed, that might be fine for you. But if you're feeling like across the day you can facilitate and you may want him to have a longer feed, then you can go into a quieter, maybe a darker room, maybe catch them just before they're about to have a sleep. Yeah. Breastfeed them to sleep. They're usually longer feeds, smoothier feeds and more milk. But I'm not necessarily suggesting that you have to do that. I think it's more if it's worrying you and troubling you that they're having the short feeds mm-hmm. all day and you would feel better if you could facilitate them to have one or two longer feeds and that's not going to be stressful for you, then that's what you can do and how you can do it. Yeah, no, that's really, really good advice. Thank you. And of course, um, the, there shouldn't be, but unfortunately, it still seems to be an alien thing, breastfeeding in public or feeding a baby in general there's a lot of stigma isn't there surrounding this topic in general because you know at the end of the day we just want our babies to be happy and healthy and we shouldn't feel like we have to go and hide in a public toilet to feed your child oh my goodness absolutely not absolutely not ultimately it's about you feeding the baby in whatever way you feel comfortable out in public and um I have to say I mean I live in London and I've breastfed two babies probably for about five years in total and I've nobody's ever ever looked at me or said anything to me or anything at all about me breastfeeding in public so I haven't really experienced it firsthand although I do know that some women um either have or are just worried about it Mm. um and you just in that situation must do what you're comfortable with and you know for me I advocate for feeding your baby when they need to be fed wherever you are and 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 however it suits you there are breastfeeding covers if you feel that that's what you need and if that works for your baby but otherwise you can very discreetly put a baby onto the breast gets a bit tricky when they're four months old and they keep popping off but you know so what it's a little bit of a nipple and most people are more engaged in having a conversation at the next table and looking at the person that they're talking to than you yeah. and your baby so yeah. again I think lockdown's really actually I've had lots of messages about this post lockdown I think lockdown's made this much harder whereas if you weren't in a lockdown situation you've been feeding your baby out and about mm. um sort of very early on and um you probably would have got into a rhythm and a stride and worked out worked out what is comfortable for you yeah whereas I think you know you women haven't been able to have that experience they're just sort of coming out of of the other side completely and and a whole other area of stigma is if you'd like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that breastfeeding isn't possible for everyone what would you say to people that can't do that what are the recommendations out there so if you um have been unable to successfully breastfeed or you choose not to breastfeed then you would be looking at choosing um an infant formula um All you need to select is one of the first infant milks and you can stay on that milk for the entirety of the child's first year until they go to um, cow's milk at the end of age of one. Um, And 
yeah, I think that that's the sort of the main alternative to breastfeeding. There is options around donor breast milk, but that's not widely available and tends to be um, more protected for babies who might be sick or um, born prematurely. And to reassure people from a nutritional perspective, um, of course, there are elements, just being very realistic, that yeah. you, you can't physically replicate in, in a formula milk, but you can pretty much replicate everything. It, they're very, very clever. And these things have been researched for years and years and years. So please don't feel any any guilt or ill feelings towards what you do, because your baby is still going to be able to thrive and be happy and healthy Um it's just the little things in it, like the um, what we call immunoglobulins, so the immune response kind of basis. That's it's very clever. For instance, it's a very hot day when we're recording this podcast now. Breast milk will become more liquid and watery because it's hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's incredible to feed your baby to hydrate, um, and if you're sick, your breast milk will produce the um, healthy fighters to help ward off illness for your baby but of course a formula milk can't quite replicate that but it doesn't mean your baby will be any less of an advantage does it Stacey? So formula milk is not a suboptimal nutrition so it's the optimal nutrition exactly. sorry it is it provides your baby with the nutrition that it needs yeah it's different to breast milk but it's by no means um going to provide any less of the nutritional aspects that no. they need. And that leads me on to some questions we've had from our listeners. So I already asked one earlier about tongue tie, which um, Zoe had asked, what do I do? So would the advice for people be to go and see their GP, Stacey? If you suspect that your baby has got a tongue tie, I think that it would be probably beneficial to try and find out if there's an infant feeding team that you could access to your health visitor. Only I say that because it's more likely that somebody in that trick team will have been trained to assess and identify a tongue tie and then take the next steps so gps are fantastic resources as are health visitors but not all of them will have been trained to assess and diagnose a tongue tie yeah very good advice um ella has said should my baby be feeding on both breasts or is it okay if they're they're not hungry and they just take one so in a new, if we're a newborn, you want to offer your baby both breasts and you may need to facilitate and encourage them to take both breasts initially, certainly if there's any sleepiness or that they need to regain their birth weight, etc. Once breastfeeding is established and you can offer both breasts, but if your baby doesn't want to take the second breast, it's absolutely fine. There you go. Um, Liv has said, does expressing my milk have any negative impacts for me or my baby? Um, So long term, there are some additional benefits to directly breastfeeding your baby, a little bit like you described in terms of immunity, because the saliva directly makes contact with the breast. Um, The the two things come together to tailor make the breast milk to support what the baby is needing at that point in time. So you don't get the same benefits of that if you're expressing your breast milk and delivering it by a bottle but you still get many 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 benefits of breast milk blows my mind the human body is quite (laughs) ridiculous um the last question is from tanya and she said oh bless i've got this to come my baby's starting to bite when he feeds how can i teach him to be gentle oh dear so it depends how old your baby is um 
I mean, you, you can set a boundary around that even with quite a young baby where it's just almost like a cause and effect so that if they bite, you remove them from the breast, you set them down, you might say, I don't let you bite. You might count to 10 and then you might pick them up and put them back on the breast so that they recognize that something different happens when they're biting. Certainly can't sort of shout at them or punish them or anything along those lines. Another, another thing to suggest with biting is that, that often it happens towards the end of the feed and you can start mm. to predict when they're going to do it. Um, when you look at sort of how they sort of slow down with their feeding and stop and they may well just bring, come in a little bit closer or they change how they're going to move their mouth. And mums can be quite in tune to that. And it's about just catching them just before it happens and taking them off. And then if they do bite or they start to bite and you're not in a position to take them off, this sounds very cruel, but it's not dangerous. You actually just gently push their head right into the boob. <laughs> which will occlude their nose, immediately they open their mouth and then they release the bite. Clever. Yeah. Wow, there you yes. go. It's probably going to hurt you more than them, to be honest. That. Yeah, well, you feel a bit <laughs> awful the first time you do it. And I've got very large breasts and certainly my oh. kids have come out. It's Gabriel. My first didn't bite me, but my yeah. second has come out unscathed. Oh, um, and he did stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the last question is from Alison. Is it okay to give my baby breast and formula? Yes, of course, if that's what you want to do and that's what you choose to do, that's absolutely fine. There we you, get, you get benefits from breast milk that are related to dose as well. So some of the benefits that I listed at the beginning um, have been looked at for babies feeding exclusively for a certain amount of time, but we certainly know that any amount of breast milk is good and beneficial for the baby. So whatever you are able to provide and for as long as you are able to provide it, and they're getting the protections to a degree. Perfect. Thank you, Stacey. So we're now moving on to our fact or fiction round. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, here we go. If you could answer fact or fiction to the following questions. Express breast milk should always be warmed up. Fiction. Small breasts don't make enough milk. Fiction. Breastfeeding helps prevent postpartum depression. Fact. If you've had breast surgery, you can't breastfeed. Fiction. Eating an unhealthy diet will likely affect your baby too. Fiction. Skipping feeding won't affect my production. That's a double negative, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Far too hard for me. Skipping feeding will, so it's fiction. (laughs) I know, well done. Um, Exercising changes the taste of the milk. Fiction. <laughs> Babies should only nurse from one breast to each feeding. Fiction. A lot of fiction here. Formula-fed babies put on weight quicker. Fact. If you give your baby bottles of pumped milk, she will refuse the breast. Yeah. Fiction. <laughs> Fact. Depends how you do it. Oh, that was brilliant. That was so fast, Stacey. I love games. I know. so much fun. Can you see? I got very excited. I should have started the episode with a hot seat round. You were on fire. And now I've just got my mojo and now we're going to finish, aren't we? (laughs) We are wrapping it up. But I think to finish the episode and to finish with our our food for thoughts, um, before we do, could you touch on why express breast milk um, doesn't always have to be warmed up? why it doesn't always have to be so I think you um, said in the fact yeah, and fiction round yeah I, I mean it just it, it doesn't I think that I mean breast milk is um delivered to the baby at body temperature 
but certainly deliver. I don't know any evidence that suggests that delivering it at a cooler temperature is damaging or harmful. There we go. I'm really glad you cleared that one up because I've been seeing a lot of things online at the moment about temperature that you should be feeding. Oh, really? So, yeah, it's been very, um, very overwhelming. But now we have that. Well, I, well, I you know maybe I need to go back and look at the evidence because it may well be that there is evidence out there that I am not aware of. So um, I will go ahead away and do that. And <laughs> to be honest, maybe you can put it in the notes. <laughs> no, Stacey, to be honest, I actually, yeah, let me know if you do find anything. But this is the perfect way to end with my food for thought because there's so much on the internet and I think for a new mum it it's quite frankly terrifying and we've all done it I've done it I've been sat there on a 2am feed 3am 4am you name it and I've been googling all sorts of things to do with my baby it doesn't matter if I know it's common sense I will still google it anyway out of I guess curiosity but also anxiety you just mm. There's a lot of stuff out there. And I really liked what Stacey said at the beginning um, with the quote that you provided us with and the fact that we really need to be gentle. And I just think supportive of women in general, no matter what way you choose to feed your baby, just support somebody because raising a child is hard. But if, if you are breastfeeding, then good for you. If you're formula feeding, good for you. Make sure you surround yourself with positive people that are going to help you. And your diet, I should touch on diet because um, if you are breastfeeding, of course, um, it is important as well to make sure you keep your calories to a certain level because a lot of mums, if you do go on what I would never advise, but a crash diet, Hmm. you can affect your milk production. It's not a good idea and you want to be getting good amounts of calcium. The requirement actually goes up for women when they start breastfeeding. Omega-3, zinc, and of course, hydrate. But if you could leave our listeners with one food for thought today, what would that be? I think in the context of the conversation we have have had, it would be find your village in whatever way, shape, that and form that looks like. Find your village, find your people and, um, and, and lean on them and let women support women. I love that. Let women support women. Stacey, thank you for supporting me and for helping everyone on Food for Thought today. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll absolutely love the others in this mini-series, so click subscribe and have them all downloaded in one go. If you have time to, please do leave a review so that we can reach higher highs in the charts and the ultimate aim is to hopefully help more and more people. For more information about me or my clinic nutrition, books, healthy recipes and so much more, please visit nutrition.com and follow me at nutrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.